Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Take your Bibles and open up to the book of James, the book of James, chapter one. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. And if you use one of those, it should be on page one thousand one hundred and ninety nine. All right. We want to make sure every one of you has uh, your eyes on a copy of Scripture. And the reason for that, as we often reiterate here, is uh It doesn't really matter what I think or what you think. What matters is what God says. And we want to know what God says. And I want you to keep me accountable to what Scripture says. And the best way to do that is for your own eyes to be on the words of Scripture. Now, I'm curious, uh, how many, uh, where are my bargain shoppers in this place? How many of you... Come on, be proud about it, all right? Um, In our house, my wife is the bargain shopper. Uh, I'm one of these people who has in mind what I need or what I want, and I go in and I get it. And she's like, well, you could have gotten it way cheaper here. And um, we're prone to finding a good deal. I I mean, this has become uh, somewhat of an art that a lot of people walk in is... Uh, I'm going to be really good. In fact, uh, there, there's previously, I don't know if it's still a thing, previously there were whole TV shows about couponers. Some of you might recognize that. And this saving hundreds and hundreds of dollars buying way too much stuff. Anyway, but what's really interesting about that is we've entered a season in our culture where when we go about trying to find the best deal, There's many people that in the process of doing so, they end up getting scammed. Where you think you're getting a really good deal, and then what you actually get is not even close to what you thought you were going to get. Right? And that's even true anymore about uh, things you read, things you hear. It has become extremely challenging for us to identify what is true and what is not true. Many of you uh, won't even pick up the phone if it's a number you don't recognize, right? I actually have a really funny story. Eric's like, me! (laughs) I actually have a really funny story about that. When I was in Oregon State ministering there, um, I didn't change my phone number. Because with a cell phone, everyone I knew throughout all of my contacts had my number. Well, there was one time I was trying to get a hold of this really sweet older couple in our church... And I called once, and it went to voicemail. And I called again, and the the guy on the other end of the phone, he picked up and he said, Hello, Illinois, I'm not interested, click. (laughs) And so I called back again, and I left a message. And I'm laughing in the message. I'm like, hey guys, this is Pastor Matt. I'm just just calling to check in. (laughs) 
And they called, then his wife called me back. He didn't call me back. <laughs> All that to say, it's become really challenging for us to identify what's authentic. And what's really scary is if there's one thing that we should have the ability to identify, is this real or not? It should be our faith. It should be our ability to have confidence in going, I believe what Scripture has proclaimed, and I have placed my faith in Christ as the atoning sacrifice, the payment for my sin, and I long to become more like Him. But we live in a day where, depending on where you go, and depending on who you encounter, we just aren't sure. And time and time again, I've had people ask the question of, how do I know? How can I be sure? And so as we walk through the book of James together, my yearning is that we would become a people of authenticity. That we would grow to not just know, but as we're going to see, James says, don't just be hearers of the word, do what it says. And we're going to see multiple times this correlation with authenticity being rooted in not just what we say we believe, but how we practice what we say. And for many of us, this isn't a foreign concept to us. Many of us would be able to identify the quote of practice what you preach, right? Don't just talk about it. Do what you're saying should be done. So my prayer is, as we jump into this, we would be transformed by that and we would become a people who responds to a world in crisis with consistency that's rooted in Jesus. So the subject question of today is, how do we respond in trial and biblically, how should we? How should we? Which is extremely appropriate. And once again, I am amazed by the sovereignty of God in scheduling of our sermon calendars. Because as we come into today, as I stated before, there's just a heaviness and a lot of weight and a lot of trial in your lives. And this series was planned last fall. Okay? Just... This is not me coming and going, man, everyone is experiencing trial right now, so we're going to go to James. Uh, This is the Lord's timing. And ask me sometime, and I'll point you to the last four years, how God has done that over and over and over and over again. In other words, what I'm communicating to you is what I believe God wants to communicate to us today, myself included. In James chapter 1, Uh, Let's look first at the first verse here. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Now, it's not uncommon to begin a letter with a greeting. And in this greeting, we see James actually articulate, uh, or, or, or we see articulated who's writing this and to whom it's being written. Both very important truths. Now, interestingly enough, James qualifies himself as a servant of God. Now, historically, 
it is viewed that the James writing this is James, the half brother of Jesus, who we see identified in the Gospels as one of Jesus half brothers. If you didn't know, okay, Jesus born of the Virgin Mary, okay, Mary indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and then she married Joseph and they had other children. So Jesus had these other brothers and sisters. James is mentioned as one of those. Now, we also have a couple other prominent biblical figures in the New Testament named James. James, the son of Alphaeus, and James, the son of Zebedee, John's brother. Now, I say historically that this is identified as James, the brother of Jesus, and I could go into a whole sermon exhortation to you as to why I believe that to be true, but I don't want to spend a ton of time here. What I can identify, though, is an understanding that if we look at Acts 12, we see that James, the son of Zebedee, was martyred very early on by Herod. And oftentimes he is pushed out as a contender because of the timeline of this letter being written. They say, well, it seems as though he would have died before this letter was written. So he's not a contender. And then James, the son of Alphaeus, we just don't have a lot of information about James, the son of Alphaeus. So it's often given credit to James, the half-brother of Jesus. Now, that's what I'm going to give you. And you may ask the question, why doesn't he just say it? Why doesn't he go, I'm James, the half-brother of Jesus? Well, interestingly enough, there's quite a bit of significance here. Because James, writing this, doesn't see any type of connection relationally as the primary source of authority. Instead, what does he say? He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the word servant there is the word doulos. Everyone say doulos. Now, that can be rendered servant or slave. Some of your translations might say bond servant. What it denotes is that James is saying here, I am under the authority of God the Most High. As I was thinking about this, I went, we kind of have this weird obsession in our culture with titles and authority. Where... Oftentimes, people even strive for that. They strive for a bigger title or a higher position. But I've never found one as extensive as the title of Prince Philip. Don't you, if you knew this or not, this could be your fun, your fun Googling later today. His title actually has 133 words in it. It's like Prince Philip, the Duke of this place, and the Chancellor of this, and it goes on and 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 on. And here's what I want us to sit on in this first verse. Am I more concerned about an earthly role, position, authority, or about my role as a servant of the Most High? James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's most important here is the authority comes from God, not from man. 
to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. The 12 tribes, he's speaking to his Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ. These would be Jewish believers, people who have committed to following Jesus, who are part of the 12 tribes and literally scattered across the earth. Now, you want to talk about a time of challenge, a time of testing, a time of uncertainty. Take everything you've ever known and every place you've ever been a part of, uproot it, scatter everyone across everything. And that's where these people have been. Their whole lives uprooted and scattered. Some of you feel that way this morning. Now, what's interesting is as we go through the whole of James over the coming weeks, you're going to see, based in the exhortations, the commands that James writes, you can see the tendencies of the people when they enter those times of great challenge. And I believe we struggle much the same way. You see trouble with seeking wisdom. You see trouble with people just hearing but not doing. You see trouble with people showing partiality to people who are of high position and authority. You see trouble with confession of sin. You see trouble with words. And all of these things tend to happen when we are most prone to take matters into our own hands instead of Walking in faithful obedience to God's commands. He writes to them greetings. And then he says this. We're going to look at verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, I'm going to be honest. This is one of those passages in Scripture that many of us like to quote, but we really don't like to receive. Right? Someone walks up to you in the midst of a really, really challenging season of your life and goes, count it all joy, brother. And you're like, get out. I don't want to hear that right now. I want to sulk in my trial. And I'm with you, okay? I, I'm, I'm in a role where I often share these scripture passages with people, and then there's a handful of people that invest in me, and they'll share these same things. And I'm like, oh, I know. I know this is true. You're right. That's our flesh. Our flesh going, I, I know this is true, but I don't feel this right now. But the, the exhortation or the command is very clear. When you meet trial, count them all what? Joy. Everyone say joy. Now, clarifying point. Joy does not equal happiness. It does not say in all your trials, be happy. Okay, this is not a moment to break out in song. Don't worry. Be happy. No, we're not doing that, okay? So if you are communicating with someone, oh, you know, the book of James, he tells people, when you go through hard times, just be happy. It's okay. No. 
it says, count it all joy. Now, what, one of the things I really love about the words James uses here, when he says, when you meet trials of various kinds, that word can also be rendered multicolored. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet multiple colors of trials. And some of you, that's exactly what you are in the midst of. Where it's not just of one variety, but you've gotten the whole basket. And yet the exhortation is the same. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, one of the things I'm going to encourage you with, and I'll talk more about when we get to application, is stop comparing the color of your trials with someone else. That's not what we're supposed to do. It says, count it all joy when you meet trials. It's the same thing I tell my kids. Who are you responsible for? Me. Right? I can only control the actions that I take, the words that I speak, the truths that I proclaim. It's a lot easier for me to point the finger, or it's a lot easier when someone's going through something for me to go, that's nothing. Let me tell you a story. Look what I've been through. It's not supposed to be that. Rather, there should be an equal partnership to walk with one another in counting it all joy when we meet trials of all various kinds. The question we should ask on the onset of this is, why should I do this? Why should I count it all joy? And praise God that James doesn't stop with that exhortation. Verse 3. For you know, everyone say no, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now this begs the question, if we should count it all joy because we know what trial does, then the question becomes, do you know? Do you know? That God uses trial to grow you and shape you, to make you more like Jesus? Do you know? Some of you have powerful story and testimonies. You know how God has used the trial of your life to bring about redemption and transformation in you. There's many of you in here today who are strong because of the trial you've walked through. And you would not be who you are today without that. Now, it's interesting that we can look at this and say, it doesn't say, count it all joy, count it all joy my brothers, because you should find joy in the trial. The joy is not in the trial. The satisfaction... Of growth is not the trial itself. It's what happens as a result of the trial. Count it all joy because you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now some of your translations may actually translate the testing 
to the tested genuineness of your faith. And the reason for that is because the word testing there can also be understood as something that is without alloy. Now, if you don't know what that means, alloy is a conglomeration of metals combined together. If you were to mine for gold or silver, precious metals, you don't just find that in pure form. You find an alloy. And then what has to happen for that to become pure? It has to be superheated, oftentimes multiple times, so that the alloy rises to the surface and is gotten rid of, and what you are left with is the purest form of that metal. It's an illustration within the text itself. Count it all joy because you know that when your faith is tested, it is being superheated that you might come out on the other side purer, maturer, holier, perfect, and complete, lacking in nothing. The question is, though, do you want to grow? Do you want to walk through challenge in order to be more than what you are? You see, I'm concerned that our desire for spiritual comfort tends to supersede our desire for spiritual maturity. And sometimes we go a step further and we take spiritual out of it and we would say, based on how we live, that our desire for physical comfort supersedes our yearning for spiritual growth. And I'm going to tell you, that is not what Scripture calls us to. And that's why James says, brothers and sisters, count it all joy when you meet these trials, because you can know that God hasn't left you where you are. But he's seeking to make you more like his son, who is the perfect example for us. I read an article uh, within the last couple weeks that identified a growing concern over uh, our population's inability to confront hard things. And there's many psychologists who have identified that uh, exposure to what they're calling the four D's often is what makes and grows a person. The four D's being discomfort, distress, disappointment, and danger. And there's a lot of these that previously were encountered just as a part of natural life. Discomfort, distress, disappointment, and danger. As we have grown as a culture and a society, it has become easier than ever to try and shelter ourselves and others from any of these things. I mean, you think about this list. I guarantee there's none of you that willfully want to say, yes, I want to experience all of those. Discomfort, distress, disappointment, and danger. We strive to live in such a way that our lives are absent of any of those things. What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is, without those challenging realities, we begin to atrophy. 
And that's honestly one of the best illustrations that I can think of when we think of these things is we go to the gym and you want to gradually increase activity. If you stay at the exact same weight permanently, uh, you will not get any stronger. Eventually your body will regulate and you're just going to lift the same weight over and over and over again. If you want to actually build strength, what do you have to do? I have to add weight. Because it adds resistance. And in the presence of resistance, strength blossoms. Yet, with the resistance comes what? Pain, right? Oh no. That's not what I wanted. I'll never forget when uh, we were in Oregon State, I started doing, I started doing cross training. And my wife got the biggest kick out of me trying to walk. Because I'd come home and I'm, I'm like a, a broke chicken, you know. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't move. She got the biggest kick out of that. And for like two weeks when I started, I couldn't move. I'm like, oh. And then what happened over time? It wasn't, here's the thing. It wasn't that the pain went away. It just didn't last as long. It still hurt because you were working your muscles and you were growing stronger in that. But it would it would fade sooner. And that's the picture here. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, because you know what the long term result of this is. And it is for your benefit. But we are short sighted in this. And we, all we can see is the right here and the right now. And when we're in the midst of trial and pain and discouragement and hardship, all we see is those things. And we often don't stop to go, what is God doing in me? What is He doing? The interesting thing is, when we look on the backside of trials, oftentimes we can look and go, oh, God knew what He was doing. I didn't have any idea. We should. This, this is where my, my challenge and encouragement is to you, family, is we should know that in every trial we face, every struggle we walk through, that God is the same. And He is molding us and shaping us and purifying His church, the bride of Christ. And the question might be, well, how... how Will we ever know if we've arrived that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing? I want you to put your finger in James and turn to Ephesians. Chapter 4. Just back a few pages. Ephesians 4. Verse 11 says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature 
of the fullness of Christ. Everyone say, whoa. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. This is to continue for us, church family, until we reach a point of the fullness of Christ's example. Who was tempted in every way and yet he was without sin. Who has redeemed us. May we strive for the fullness of Christ in that. The second point on your notes if you're taking that from these second verses is our joy should come from what we know, not what we feel. Our joy should come from what we know, not what we feel. In the midst of the trial, we often feel lost. But Scripture commands us and we can know that in Christ we are found. In the midst of the trial, we can often feel alone. And yet, we can know from God's Word that He will never leave you or forsake you. He's present in His very creation. Be able to separate in the midst of your trial how you feel and what you know. It doesn't mean your feelings are invalid. It doesn't mean we have to push aside and go, I'm great. You see, church family, I have, I have this vision picture in my mind of a family of people who are authentic. And we're not there. We're not there. And I'm going to say that not just here, but about a majority of the church in North America. The reason being is because we run one of the greatest cover-up operations in the world. Where we show up, and we check our box, and we're great. i got Jesus, man, I'm fantastic. And then behind the scenes, we're not great. And then what happens? When we're in the midst of trial and hardship, what do we do? No, I don't, I, I just, I don't want anyone to know. Don't. Why? Because we feel like we have to put up this image, this picture of who we are. And it's the same as Adam and Eve hiding in the garden from God. God knows. He knows exactly where you are. He sent His Son so that in spite of your sin, you could be in relationship with Him. Whoa! Do you understand that the Gospel depends on us acknowledging that we're not okay? If we're always okay, I don't need Jesus. And that's what we do. We're okay, so we put God on a shelf until something bad happens, and then we go, God, what are you doing? Where are you? Well, he's been there the whole time. And in addition to putting God on the shelf, we kind of isolate each other. And being authentic means that I'm going to I'm going to recognize that the trial I'm in is real. So when someone asks me how I'm doing, I'm going to be honest. 
And if you've spent much time with me, you've found out that that's me. What you see is what you get. And there's been a couple of times I can tell people really don't know how to take that. That's okay. It's okay. I don't expect you to know how to take it, but I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to be honest with you. If I'm, if I'm not doing okay, I'm going to tell you. We have to do better. How do we do this well? I want to give you three things. And I've already kind of started talking about this a little. I want to give you three things. Number one, embrace trial. This is my least favorite point of my application today. Embrace trial. What do you mean? I mean, have a James attitude towards your trial. In understanding the long view, not the short view. And part of embracing trial is me recognizing it's okay to talk about trial. And if there's other people who don't understand why I would talk about those things, that's okay. If there's people who when you, because you're transparent and honest about your struggles, who are no longer a part of your life as a result of that, that's okay. It's better to be authentic than to live in an isolated bubble the rest of your life and question where God is. Embrace your trial. It's a part of God shaping and molding us to be who we are. Our world wants you to think that God loves you just the way you are. And yet, really, the truth of the gospel is God loves you in spite of who you are. That God sent His Son not for the righteous, but the unrighteous. That we might be made new. That we might be born again. And have the hope of eternity that we don't deserve because we're sinful people. So as you walk through trial, embrace that this is where I'm at. This is where I'm standing. The second thing, empathize with people who are walking through trial. This is for those of you who aren't sure what to do when someone is honest with you about what they're going through. Empathize. What does it mean to empathize? It means to recognize that just because I may not think that this is very much of a trial doesn't mean it's not a trial for them. You go to the gym and you put some weight on, it might seem light to you, but that doesn't mean it's not heavy for someone else. So empathize with that. Be someone who listens well. We're going to talk about that in a later chapter of James. Be a good listener. Understand you don't have to have the answers or the solution to their trial. That's what empathizing is. Guys, I understand those of you who are fix-it people that this is hard. I get it. But the solution, the fix-it tool that you need to use when someone is struggling is listening and reaffirming. I'm really sorry you're going through that. The other tool that every one of you can use, no matter how old or young you are, is prayer. Let's pray. You know what? I, I'm not sure how to walk with you best right now, but let's just pray, pray for that right now. Don't say, I'll pray for you at a future time. Pray right there. Hey, you're in the middle of Walmart. Someone shares a burden with you. Hey, can I pray, for, can I pray with you? I would love, I would love to see just our people, everywhere they go, praying with people. Very simple way that says we serve someone that is far above ourselves. And I don't have the solution, but I know who does.
So let's take it to him. Embrace your trial. Empathize. The third thing is one that's for both the person walking through the trial and the people walking with people in trial. And it's encourage with truth. This goes back to what I said at the beginning. where We don't like this passage when we're walking in trial. Someone says, count it all joy, brother. And we go, receive the truth of God's word with grace. Speak it with confidence. We should never shy away from those who want to share the word of God with us. Does that mean they're going to do it right every time? No. But that doesn't mean God can't still use imperfect people to communicate perfect truths. So when someone comes to you in the midst of your trial and says, Romans 8.28, God works all things for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. You may go, that's the last thing I want to hear right now. But God may be saying, that is what you need to hear right now. You're in the midst of a hardship and someone says, God is still faithful, brother or sister. You may go, it sure doesn't feel that way. And God may be using that person as his voice to remind you what he's saying to you. Be bold to encourage people with biblical truth and receive that encouragement with grace. Understanding that throughout history, God has consistently used fallible people to speak bold truth that transforms lives. In the end of this, how do we respond to trial? We often respond by taking this into our own hands and saying, woe is me. My challenge to you today is to count it all joy, knowing what God has done for you. And what He has promised to do in us through the trial and hardship that we face. Praise God that Jesus, in the face of the greatest trial recorded in Scripture, didn't collapse. Praise God that Christ's work didn't stop on the cross in the midst of pain and agony. Praise God that Christ's work didn't stop in the grave In the midst of lifeless death and darkness. Praise God that he was risen again to show that there is hope of life. Power over death. And for the promise that his work is still not done. And he will be back. In the same way brothers and sisters. May you persevere in joy. Knowing that God is at work. He has not changed. His promises will be fulfilled. He is Faithful. Amen? I'm going to pray. We're going to sing the song, Jesus Messiah. And as we sing that, uh, the men are going to come forward. And we're going to, in light of this, these truths, we're going to take communion together as we prepare to close our time. Father, we come to you and we recognize the intense trial we are walking through. And so many are in the midst of. Father, I pray that we would be a people of authenticity, recognizing what has been given to us in Christ, recognizing the eternal hope 
But Lord, in the midst of this, we also recognize that it's just hard to walk through these and be reminded of what you're doing when we really have no idea what you're doing. But God, we can have confidence in what you've already done. Lord, may we proclaim these truths. May we be bold to share these truths. May you continue to instill in us a hope that's rooted in what Christ has accomplished. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.